if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. Good morning. Seven minutes at the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on this Wednesday, the 24th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2021. We are, uh, well, we're packed today. Uh, just to be blunt, we're packed. Coming up in uh, about half an hour, a little bit less, we're going to be talking with uh, former Ohio, or excuse me, former congressman from Ohio's 16th Congressional District, uh, Jim Renacy. Who, by the way, I think it's fair to say for almost all of us, is much preferred to the current holder of the seat of the 16th Congressional District in the state of Ohio. That, of course, is Anthony Gonzalez. I'll have some more thoughts on Anthony Gonzalez coming up here in just a bit. But Jim uh, Renacy is going to be joining us to talk about what is going on uh, in the state of Ohio. We all know that Jim Renacy is considering a run for governor. I think for a lot of people, it's all but a foregone conclusion that he is going to be running for governor. And uh, he's got some thoughts on where this state is headed under Mike DeWine's leadership right now. As a matter of fact, there was a really interesting piece, um, commentary piece by Harlan Hill, saying that when you've got Republicans like Mike DeWine running the show in the state of Ohio, who needs Democrats? Uh, Harlan Hill is president of the Logan Circle Group and uh, an author, and he's going to be talking to, or excuse me, and uh, Jim Renacy and I are going to talk about his piece and what all of that means coming up at about 9.35. Then at 10.05, we'll get a phone call from Chris Long, Pastor Chris Long of the, um, uh, Chris is going to be calling us the High Christian Alliance talking about the uh, Equality Act. It's a very dangerous, dangerous bill. It is has nothing to do with equality and, in fact, is very, very discriminatory. The difference being that this will discriminate against 99-plus percent of the population rather than the less than 1% of the population that it is supposedly uh, supposed to be helping. So we will talk uh, to Chris Long about that. Then at 1035, very much <clears throat> looking forward <clears throat> Excuse me. Then at ten thirty-five, uh, we are very much looking forward to talking about the um, uh, issues surrounding the masking and the rest of the mandates in the state of Ohio. One would think that when we hear that the um, number of cases of COVID nineteen have dropped in recent months by as many, according to varied reports, as seventy-seven percent, that the mask requirements should go the way of the curfew. You see, by or Biden. Uh, you see the comparison there? I just said Biden and I meant DeWine. They're not too terribly dissimilar. A couple of Democrats, 
Um, at any rate, DeWine lifted the curfew when the number of cases in the state of Ohio continued to drop by a certain number, uh, which is good. Of course, the curfew never should have been imposed anyway. It was unconstitutional and illegal. But nonetheless, it was there. And now the question is, is why not the mask mandates? Why not the distancing mandates? Why not the percentages of people allowed in restaurants and in businesses mandates? Why not schools being open fully and completely five days a week unrestricted? Why not, why not, why not, why not? All of those things are being taken on by another proud and and phenomenally run organization, Um, along with groups like, you know, we've talked to attorney Tom Renz with um, Ohio Stands Up. We have talked to people representing Free Ohio now, and now we're going to talk uh, to people about the coalition uh, to, uh, to remove these unconstitutional mandates. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to Tom Hack about that at 1035 uh, this morning. So we have Jim Renacci at 935, we have Chris Long at 1010, and we have Tom Hack coming up on the Coalition, coalition to Restore Liberty is the exact name of it, by the way. Tom Hack will be at 1035 to talk about what organizations are uniting in order to... Uh, uh, to enact those changes. So three very big guests, three very important guests, very local today, local today in terms of uh, Ohio-centric. Uh, all of those stories are really, well, that's not true. Chris Long is, of course, with the Ohio Christian Alliance, but he is talking about a national issue, which would be the, the Equality Act. But still, we're very local in terms of our guest list today. Uh, however, having said that, I want to talk national and international for for a moment here, because the big news of the day is good news. So many times we start this program by talking about the latest outrage of the day. So many times we start talking about the latest, uh, you know, media um, uh, misinformation campaign or any of the other things being done by the Biden administration. But today we're going to start on something positive. Why? Because it was a smack at the Biden administration, a full on smackdown by a federal judge who has decided that the Biden 100 day deportation moratorium that was temporarily banned, is now indefinitely banned. A federal judge in Texas has blocked the Biden administration's 100-day moratorium on most deportations. The ruling by U.S. District Judge Drew Tipton, a Trump appointee, does not require deportations to resume at their previous pace. Judge Tipton's decision came as a two-week restraining order was set to expire. Texas has argued the president's deportation freeze violates federal law. There's no word yet on whether the Biden administration will appeal the ruling. Of course they're going to appeal the ruling, and of course it violates federal law. And that's why this judge, Judge Drew Tipton, as you just heard, District Judge Tipton, uh, issued that indefinite ban now on the enforcement of that order, which Biden signed on the day of inauguration, on January 20th. One of the first things that he did... And it's incredible. If, if you really think about it, and I don't want to go off under the rails here, or off the rails and into the weeds, rather, uh, on everything Biden did on Inauguration Day. We've talked about a ton of it, but among the very first acts was we are going to stop deporting illegal aliens. Not the first acts being something that benefits American citizens. Not first acts that actually benefited the American economy. No first acts having anything to do with building on the progress of the last administration, it just immediately becomes, let's undo every single thing Donald Trump did. And Donald Trump supported the deportation of illegal aliens, particularly criminal illegal aliens. And Joe Biden immediately comes in on January 20th and says, nope, no more. 100-day pause on deportations, which is enormous, by the way. You know how much damage can be done in 100 days, especially considering the fact that ICE 
Immigration and Customs Enforcement, would be literally neutered. They would be not allowed to arrest and detain anybody who is an illegal immigrant, no matter what their crime was. Because if you're not allowed to deport them, then you can't detain them in pre-deportation facilities. You can't send them to jails. Can't detain them in the in the actual ICE facilities. They have to be set free back into the population. How much damage can be done in a hundred days of that? Tipton had previously issued that temporary two week restraining order uh, of, on the policy after Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton filed a lawsuit and argued that it violated federal law. But now that has been strengthened from two weeks to indefinite. It's a huge win. The broad pause, Biden had campaigned uh, on this 100-day pause uh, as part of a sweeping immigration agenda reform proposal that halts construction of the border wall, that ends the migrant protection protocols, and a pathway to citi- provides a uh, pathway to citizenship for probably close to 20 million illegal aliens. They continue to use the number 11 million, which is just beyond my comprehension. We have been saying 11, uh, 11 million illegal aliens for the last 20 years. As if there's no increase despite massive numbers of people swarming the border. Um, it's closer to 20 million if you're being real. And there are immigration organizations and ag- advocacy and activist groups who will tell you that that number is ridiculously low. It's closer to 20 million. Anyway, place here, uh, according to a written finding by the head of, head of ICE, um, would have excluded those who engaged in terrorism or espionage or pose a danger to national security, but it would also include those who committed violent crimes like assault. That would be domestic violence, drunken driving. All of these people would be, would be uh, immune from deportation under this law or this pause by Joe Biden. Texas said that violates the Constitution and federal law. They are, cor- of course, correct. Um, the contractual agreement between Texas and DHS signed in the final days of the Trump administration uh, said that the state of Texas would be consulted before reducing immigration enforcement or pausing deportations. That meant DHS must give Texas six months, 180 days worth of notice of any proposed change or any matter that would reduce enforcement of um, federal law as it pertains to border security, as it pertains to illegal immigration. So that's a big deal today. We start today with a little bit of good news there, and that is that uh, Joe Biden's ridiculous pause on uh, deport, deporting illegal aliens is now halted. So that's good news. As a matter of fact, let me hear a little bit from um, Texas Senator Bill Haggerty on this issue. Increase in drug trafficking, we're going to see an increase in human trafficking, and we're going to see these people caught and released into our communities here in the United States. How are they going to ensure that these people get to their hearings? How are they going to test them? Are they going to inoculate them? Are they going to give them work permits? There's so many unanswered questions. Indeed, many unanswered questions, and that's one of the reasons why this judge has made the ruling, and now it's just a matter of Republican lawmakers stepping up to find a way to stop and to work, I guess, across the aisle to a degree, but find a way to stop Biden from reimposing some more of these dramatic and drastic and dangerous uh, immigration reform policies that he is talking about. So that is good news. Now, uh, let me pivot to this, and I've got to get a lot of stuff in the opening monologue here because we've got guests galore, as I noted. The investigation into the Capitol riots of January 6th is uh, underway. The investigation is going to turn up, and I can just tell you this after the first story or two that we have, it's going to prove that 
the impeachment vote that was held by Nancy Pelosi, sending an article of impeachment over to the Senate, alleging that Donald J. Trump incited an insurrection, incited the riot or the mob or whatever you want to call it, that that took place that day at the Capitol. And and that was shameful, obviously. I took to the airwaves the next day and condemned it, and I have condemned it ever since. But the impeachment vote that was held by Nancy Pelosi without due process was so extraordinarily unconstitutional. And what we are finding out now through this investigation is going to prove that she should be forced to resign from Congress and that anybody who voted to convict Donald Trump of inciting that insurrection, of inciting that violence, should also be removed from their seats in legislative power. Why? Because we are finding out now, just in the very early stages, that the FBI warned the Capitol Police before January 6th of the planned mob attack. Let's say that again. According to the ex-Capitol Police chief, indicated that Antifa, the far-left organization, the Proud Boys, a far-right organization, and other groups would all be converging on Capitol Hill on January 6th and had planned this mob riot. So if that is the case, and it is, then how on earth could they justify sending an article of impeachment over to the United States Senate claiming that Donald Trump incited this with his words on stage on January 6th? I want you to listen to Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat Senator Jeff Merkley, talking about the FBI and the Capitol Police and the failure to heed the warnings that came about that day. Help us understand this. Why did the former U.S. Capitol Police chief, who we just heard from there, Stephen Sun, only see that FBI memo? He said this week he didn't see it the night before when they sent it via email. How did how is that possible? Well, it really is an enormous failing. And and when I pressed him on that question, he said, well, it came in at a lower level and it wasn't a polished uh, report. It was just raw intelligence data, as if for some reason raw data or basically a memo saying, hey, these folks are really serious on smashing down doors and and, uh, assaulting. And, And he put it this way, either Trump will still be president or will be dead. I mean, they were very, it was very, very aggressive language. So this is a Democrat senator from Oregon, Jeff Merkley, admitting and acknowledging that the FBI presented in, quote, very raw data the day before, presented information to the Capitol Police about the plans of these organizations, some on the far left, some on the far right, to engage in this mob-style riot at the Capitol building. The FBI presented that information to the Capitol Police the day before. Nancy Pelosi knew this when she convened that full House vote, that show trial where there was no due process given, no uh, uh, hearing conducted, no committee hearings conducted to decide whether or not there should even, should even be a, a full House vote. All of this information that we are finding out now, they had then. 
And rather than take the time to present it, because to take the time to present it, you know this, to take that time would have pushed them past the inauguration. Donald Trump would have been out. Then they couldn't even vote to do the impeachment in the House side, much less have the unconstitutional Senate trial after he was gone. So they had to rush and not consider any of these kinds of things in order to cast their votes. Now, having said all of that, let's focus our attention on the Senate side. The guy you just heard from there is Senator Jeff Merkley, one of the Democrat senators who voted to convict Donald Trump. This man is on TV today admitting that they knew that the FBI knew that there were threats of attacks on the Capitol the night before the actual attack and the night before President Trump's speech. Knowing that this information was there, he voted to convict Donald Trump for inciting the violence anyway. How is that man allowed to remain in the United States Senate? How are any of them who knew this allowed to remain in the Senate? My friends, our country is under a very, very dangerous attack right now, and not the kind that we saw at the Capitol. We are under attack from the far left of our government, the far left of our media. We are under attack. Our Constitution is under attack. Everything that we stand for is under attack. They literally voted to convict a man that they knew was innocent because they had the plans for this riot the night before. I've got more, but I'm a little bit upset. I'm going to take a time out. It's 924, right back after this. Okay, okay, 928 uh, as we continue. Short segment here, but I want to get more information on the illegal immigration uh, policies that are being uh, changed, the reform being implemented by the Biden administration. Remember what they did during uh, uh, 2018 and 2019 uh, to the Trump administration, which was facing just massive numbers of people in migrant caravans coming to the border, swarming the border, many children included, children who were being taken by adults that may or may not have been their parents or may or may not have been their family members. And it was up to the uh, uh, border security and the ICE uh, individuals to figure out who they were, where they belonged, uh, you know, who the family members were, etc. <clears throat> so they had to detain people, a ton of people. Uh, at the border, you know, while they figured all of this out. Now, of course, you cannot allow children to be detained in the same facilities as adults because it's very dangerous for the kids, especially if we don't even know who the kids' guardians are, right? That's just common sense. So they separated them. Using facilities that were built by the Obama administration, they separated the parents from, or excuse me, the adults from the children for the kids' safety. And they separated them with partitions that were chain link fences. And you remember the rest. Those were considered to be what? Kids in cages. Cages built by the Obama administration and used the same way suddenly were un, uh, uh, acceptable, unconscionable during the Trump administration. Well, lo and behold, what's going on now? How about the fact that the Biden administration is using the same facilities again? Yesterday, Peter Ducey asked uh, Madam Circleback to explain it. But it's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, 
Uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and so the, these are facilities. Let me be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump; it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is this is kids. This is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is. This isn't kids within cages when there's a Democrat president. Now it's um, minors in um, detention facilities. It's amazing how the language changes when you're trying to sell a different narrative. I got more on that coming up on the program as well. But news time now, Jim Renacci after on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 9.36, we continue, AM 1420, the answer coming up. In about a half an hour, we're going to talk to Pastor Chris Long of the Ohio Christian Alliance. He is going to speak out on the extraordinarily dangerous uh, Equality Act that is uh, going to be moved through the Ohio, or the, uh, excuse me, the uh, uh, United States Congress, begging Ohio representatives uh, in Congress to vote against that dangerous bill. So that's coming up at 1010. Then at 1035, don't forget Tom Hack will be joining us on the Coalition to Preserve Liberty. Uh, there's so many groups working so hard in Ohio to fight back against the tyrannical, unconstitutional mandates and uh, policies that have been put in place since the advent of the pandemic. Um, Free Ohio Now is a part of that. Uh, Ohio Stands Up is a part of that. And the conservative, or excuse me, the um, uh, the um, Coalition to Preserve Liberty is one of them as well. So we're going to be talking to Tom Hack about that, or to restore liberty, rather, because it has been taken from us. Speaking of Ohio, and speaking of what has been taken from us, uh, Governor Mike DeWine is in serious trouble. His polling numbers are dropping um, like a stone, uh, just as his approval rating as it pertains to the handling of the pandemic are as well. In a survey of Ohio Republican voters taken from just two months ago in December, only 14% of Ohio voters say that Ohio's on the right track. 72% say wrong track. Uh, 16% of Ohio Republicans approve of Mike DeWine's handling of COVID-19. His total approval rating among Republicans, just 17% have been effective in stopping the spread of COVID-19. So let's do the reverse math on that. A math on that. 91% say obviously that his uh, prescriptions for COVID-19 are the wrong ones. Joining us now is somebody who may be um, on a track to remove Mike DeWine from this equation. He is former Ohio Congressman Jim Renacci, who is considering a run for the governor's office. Congressman Renacci, good to have you back. How are you, sir? Good, Bob. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm doing better than Mike is. I haven't seen my latest polling numbers yet, but I'm going to assume they're a little higher than what Mike, what, uh, Mike DeWine's are as far as the handling of his job. This is pretty astounding, isn't it? Well, Bob, what's interesting, and, and uh, you know, this goes back, it's the political games that people play, and I hope your listeners are paying attention to this. You know, when I was running against Sherrod Brown, our polling, there was Republican polling out there, good, solid polling that said we were beating him. But there were people out there saying that I was losing. And when you, when you say that Sherrod Brown's winning by 12 or 14 points, that just sinks in and people say, oh, 
nothing can be stopped. Well, Mike DeWine's been telling everybody that he's got great polling numbers. He's got 60% approval rating. He's 65% approval rating. He just told the, uh, the Republican caucus in Columbus two Saturdays ago. The problem is he never says among Republicans. And by and then and looking at this, you could see that Republicans aren't happy with Mike DeWine. Now, he might have 60% approval rating in the state of Ohio, but that's because 95% of Democrats love what he's doing. And uh, I'm glad to see this poll coming out. I'm glad to see people are going to have to start to realize. And I, and I think Mike DeWine knows these numbers, because if he didn't, he wouldn't be moving back to the right. You know, his signing of the Stand Your Ground bill. Some of the things he's doing, he's starting to shift focus back to the right, hoping that people will forget all the things he's done. And, Bob, I told you this time and time again, the most frustrating thing I have about politics is people forget. It's a 30-day window. And then, you know, 13 months from now, they'll be going, oh, things are much better. Yeah, I can I can vote for this guy or this woman. And the truth of it is, got to look at where he or she has put us. And Clearly, we are going in the wrong direction in Ohio, uh, from jobs to the economy to the vaccine distribution to an unbelievable unemployment rollout, which is just devastating. I mean, if your listeners would hear the numbers of fraudulent claims of unemployment, all because systems, and by the way, Mike DeWine can't say he wasn't warned. In 2019, he was warned by the federal government in February the unemployment system was going to fail. He was warned again by the Legislative Service Commission in, in uh, I think it was September, October. The unemployment system was going to fail. It wasn't funded properly. It wasn't prepared properly. And boom, we, it is costing us money. It is costing us hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars um, in, in interest. It's costing us in fraud claims. And if you ask these people, like, my, you know, Governor DeWine or even Lieutenant Governor Houston, they go, well, you know, it's just a fraudulent system. Well, I got to tell you, in my business career, if this was happening, these people would be fired. And uh, I'm hoping that Republicans are paying attention and they continue to pay attention over the next year. What I want to know is, though, what is the Ohio Republican Party doing? Um, you know, I know they just said a change in leadership because Tim Kinn wants to go to the Senate now, but what you just said is astounding. 60% approval rating in the state, and that's because of 95%, and I don't know if that number is exactly right, but I get your point. It's a huge number of Democrats that support what Mike DeWine is doing. How can the Ohio Republican Party be okay for the last 12 months, or, or 11 months anyway, with what Mike DeWine has been doing, knowing it appeases the Democrats but ticks off the Republicans? Because so much of what he's doing is, is unconstitutional uh it it is it flies in the face of science quite frankly they claim they're following the science but every scientific um study that they've put forward or or a scientific uh uh uh, what's the word i'm looking for the models that they use to predict the uh you know the spread of the virus they were all wrong i mean i i just kind of wonder if if he's underwater with ohio republicans and really in good with ohio democrats why is the ohio republican party not working to fix that well, it's one of the things I continue to talk about. It shouldn't be about the person. It should be about the policies. Mike DeWine's policies today are Democrat policies. And, you know, somebody said to me in, in one of my town hall meetings I've had in the last couple of weeks, Renee, see that, you know, so you're telling me you would vote for a Democrat. You would vote if you're not going to vote for Mike DeWine, you would vote for a Democrat. And I go, wait a minute. I said, if Richard Cordray had an R after his name, would you vote for him? And they go, no. I go, well, there you go. I said, we have. Republicans that are really 
Democrat policies behind them. And we still vote for them because we see the R and we say the R is better than the D. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the R isn't better than the D. Sometimes the R is as bad as the D. And what we really need to do as Republicans is start to look at their policies, what they've done, what positions, and just throw them out. Throw the people out who have violated the policies and principles of the Republican Party and quit saying, well, the R is better than a D. Because, uh, look, Governor DeWine's the best example of where the R um, is not better than the D, because if the D would have won, the Republican House and the Republican Senate would have chewed the D up and never let the D do all the things that the R was able to get done. I think that's very well said, uh, and and you know Mike Dewine is obviously very popular with the D's, as you say right now. Regardless of the letter, the state of Ohio is suffering not just because of the uh, what I believe to be unconstitutional mandates, but because of just overall leadership. You pointed out the last time we spoke that Ohio was suffering in terms of job creation when the rest of the country was exploding in job creation in the Trump years, and that goes back to you know Kasich, you know who didn't do a, ter- a terribly uh, terrific job uh, with that anyway, but certainly under Mike DeWine as well. And now in the year of the pandemic, and admittedly that's a, you know, a bit of a, a skewed number here, but we were 43rd out of 50 states in job growth, 43rd. Everybody else had the pandemic too. We were 43rd. We created only 5,600 non-farm jobs in 2019. Um, that's not very progressive in terms of job growth. Not that we want to be progressive ideologically, but you understand my point. This is not very pro-job growth. So Mike DeWine, I, I, not only is he failing in terms of uh, the restrictions that he has put on people, restricting school, restricting church, restricting businesses from being open fully, and all the other things that we have dealt with, when it comes to just doing his regular job of handling our economy and helping Ohioans uh, grow and helping Ohioans prosper, it's it's... Quite frankly, it's a failure. Well, statistically, it is. You look at all the numbers, it is. I, I don't know of any Republican that approves of his, his job performance, and I haven't found too many. I mean, there are the pro-establishment Republicans who will support and are, no matter who they are. Um, but in the end, we should be looking at our state. We should be thinking about our children and grandchildren. We should be thinking about policies that will make our state grow and prosper and uh, I've said this time and time again, we're the seventh most corrupt state in the country. Um, and a lot of that corruption just occurred again. But by the way, the corruption is ours and D's. We see the D's uh, corruption yesterday in the city council in, uh, in Cleveland. But, yeah. uh, you know, we, we, we are. So before the corruption last year, which we had corruption in Cincinnati city council with some D's, we had corruption uh, in uh, um, well, we had corruption at the state house, and then we had corruption up in Toledo. You know, you start to add all that. We were already seventh in corruption. So I'll bet we're sixth or fifth now after some of these new revelations. And, and this all gets back to leadership and who we're putting in place. And, I mean, go back to 2016 or 17, and you'll see that there were a lot of discussions about the pay-for-play with, uh, with at that time, Attorney General DeWine, who was uh, – using uh, the office to, uh, you know, to increase donations. But we, we have systems that are so bad that we just got to put them back in check. And if we're going to continue to put the same old people in the same old offices, then shame on all of us, because that's why we're also the sixth most left state in the country. People are just mm-hmm. leaving this state and going to others. Um, we're talking to uh, former Congressman Jim Renacci, who is considering a run for the Ohio uh, governor's office. And uh, 
Jim, the last time we spoke, you were also kind of considering uh, um, Rob Portman's soon-to-be-vacant seat, uh, Senate seat, as he is not going to run for re-election. I don't know if you are in a 50-50 mode or a 70-30, but can you give us a hint as to where your your, uh, future lies? Bob, I've been calling uh, since the last time I've talked. I'm on the phone every day. From My wife asked me half the time, who am I talking to at 7 in the morning? I was awoken this morning by a Republican at 7 o'clock who told me, you got to run for, I know you're out there making phone calls, you got to run against DeWine. And uh, quite frankly, uh, those calls are giving me some direction. I mean, most people believe, like I do, that the federal government is, uh, look, the federal government is so broken. I'm not sure anybody that goes to Washington that can fix it. Uh, but we better fix our state in preparation for a total uh, fallout of our federal financial systems. And uh, so the more I talk to people, I have yet to find, and these are Republicans all around the state, I have yet to find a Republican who has told me that they support Governor DeWine. And these are, these are you know, chairs and, and Republican leaders uh, so as I continue to make these calls and go through this process, you know, I'm going to continue to make the decision that's best for our children and grandchildren. It's best for Ohio. And uh, and you can tell just from probably what I'm talking about, which direction I'm leaning. But yeah. um, I, I do think the Senate seat is important as well. I think uh, only because if we put the right person in the Senate seat who believes in Republican principles and doesn't just switch you know, I, I put a post on my Facebook that there's already a game plan that everybody is uh, shedding themselves from DeWine, shedding themselves from Gonzalez, and running toward Trump. Well, you know what? Uh, here's the interesting thing about Jim Renese. Uh I mean, I've already said that I was not happy with Gonzalez's vote the day he voted. I was not happy with uh, Governor DeWine's policies for the last two years. And I've been a Trump supporter since 2016 before any of these people supported Trump. So when you look at Jim Renese, you could say, here's a guy who has stuck to his principles and values. Even when people were calling me names and calling me out, I've never changed. And, uh, and I think those are the kind of people I hope, um, even if it's not me, those are the kind of people we need to elect to public office. Are you, uh, do you have a, a timeline or is it just going to be a situation where when I know, I'll know? Well, we're doing, believe it or not, we're doing some more analysis in the state, uh, and uh, I've been meeting with people, and I do have a timeline lined out, but uh, the timeline, uh, look, people can already, uh, t- tomorrow, Thursday night, I'm doing a town hall on corruption in Ohio. I mean, I am pretty well campaigning right now, um, even in COVID world. Uh, I was at four events last weekend, all with more than 100 people talking about how we need to elect Republicans and, and, and change the direction. So I think most people, and I heard you say even before I got on, Jim, Jim Renese has been, you know, at this for about a year and a half. So it's not like Jim Renese even has to turn the machine on. All I probably have to say is it's time. Right. Unfinished business. I'm coming forward. And, okay. uh, but so I, this is I kind of a non-announcement announcement is really what, what, what I'm hearing. Because, you know, as soon as you, you started Ohio's Future Foundation, I, you know, anybody with a working uh, cerebral cortex knows, all right, <laughs> he's focusing back on the governor's race that he abandoned when uh, he was drafted to go and run against Sherrod Brown. So um, that's kind of what a lot of us thought. And based on everything you're talking about now, the town hall meetings you're going to, the things you're talking about, very specific to Ohio leadership and Ohio, Ohio's economy and 
Ohio citizens and so on and so forth. So it's kind of a non-announcement announcement that um, this is coming soon, right? Well, again, I'm going to continue to do what I believe is necessary. I mean, what's interesting is I talked to more and more Ohioans. They said, you know, we want you to come out with a plan that says you're going to do this, that, whatever, or we're not going to support you. So what I'm doing is I'm listening. And, Bob, in the end, um, when I finalize the decision, um, it will be based on all the calls and all the people I'm talking to. And, uh, again, I spend every day, I've got a list of people I want to be talking to today, and it's about making sure that there is a path. Look, I think the number one goal in the governor's race and the Senate race, but the number one goal in the governor's race is to make sure we remove DeWine. The number one goal in the Senate race should be to make sure we put a constitutional conservative in that seat as well. So I think in the end, we've got to make sure there is a path. And uh, I'm continuing to, to work toward um, a path that also has specifics, uh, that people can say, yep, I'm, uh, you know, if Jim Renacci is going to do X, Y, Z, or, or the 10 things he said he is, he's the guy that I want in there. And, and what I found is um, when you start to bring out some of these policies, you start to get attacked multiple directions. So it's been an interesting last 30 days uh, and last 60 days, and even last year, quite frankly. But, yeah, the answer is we have to have uh, someone who can step up and remove DeWine. And, uh, you know, one of the questions I've said time and time again, if not Jim Renacci, who? And uh, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to find out who, uh, who who's out there. Uh, because ultimately, it's just, this isn't about Jim Renacci. This is about the state. Um, this is about our children. This is about our grandchildren. And, and I want to make sure that there is a path to change Ohio. And I think I'm the person who can do it. Um, and I just got to make sure that I can, can continue to convince people that um, and prepare uh, in the right way, but it's going to um, take uh, I, it's going to take a heck of an effort uh, for anybody else to be able to answer that question. If not for Jim, then who is going to be able to stop Mike DeWine and turn the state around? Uh, I think it's a great thing that you just said. Listen and see who else there is. If somebody else can do this better than you, I would like to hear it. Um, but for now, uh, I appreciate you coming on and uh, shining a light on everything that continues to go on here. And of course, keep us posted as you get closer to that official and final announcement. Okay. Will do. Thank you so much, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. That's uh, Jim Renacci joining us on AM 1420. The answer will be right back. Okay, it's 9.58, short segment here. Coming up after the top of the hour, we're going to talk to Chris Long. Uh, Chris Long is the pastor uh, representing uh, the Ohio Christian Alliance, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. He's going to talk to us about uh, the Equality Act. Now, I've spent some time talking about the Equality Act with you and the dangers uh, uh, of that act. Uh, This is something that, of course, is Biden administration pushed uh, and sponsored, and uh, the the spokesperson for the administration, Madam Circleback, Jen Psaki, said that trans rights are human rights. And that's the end of the story. Any any bill that goes through, like the Equality Act, is aimed at restoring or providing human rights for everybody. Who can possibly be opposed to that? Well, the answer is reasonable, common sensible people can be opposed to that because it's not about giving rights. It is about rights that are being taken away by such an act. Dangers that people are going to be put into. 
Uh, I'm I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and I don't know where they are for the feminists to show up, who are always so quick to jump up in defense of women, and understandably, understandably, to jump up in defense of women's rights. I don't always agree with feminists, especially if they jump up and defend women's rights to kill their babies. But they are always quick to jump up in defense of women's rights, except when it comes to this intersectionality now where women's rights are being pitted against trans rights, which are biological males' rights. The Equality Act is a very, very dangerous piece of legislation, and we are begging uh, uh, virtually everyone in Ohio, and I know this is happening across the country as well, to contact our congressional representatives, even our senators, and to tell them to oppose this dangerous act. Chris Long is going to explain it all to you coming up after the top of the hour. Then don't forget, we stay kind of hyper-local here on an Ohio Day today. Uh, Tom Hack is going to be joining us to talk about Free Ohio Now and the conservative, uh, I keep saying conservative, um, uh, the um, Coalition to Restore Liberty. I keep saying conservative when I mean to say coalition. My apologies. The coalition to restore liberty. There is a pushback against all of these heavy-handed mandates and these unconstitutional restrictions that you and I and we all in Ohio have been living under for the last 11 months. And we're going to talk to uh, Tom Hack about that at 1035. So stay with us for hour number two coming up.